I think that the biggest thing that I've learned in my in my career and in my time as CEO is to be humble and not be afraid to ask for help. If you don't know something, I think people respect and admire a lot more bringing in the help sooner rather than later. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today. So excited to talk to our guest. Uh, her name is Brittany Burns, and she's the CEO of Simpler Trading, premier online financial education platform that connects retail traders to seasoned pros for best-in-class education. Uh, she's also started a nonprofit. She's a former attorney and uh, all sorts of different angles and avenues we're going to be able to take. But I'm so excited to talk to a functional CEO, somebody out there doing the work, transforming culture, leading with integrity in an unregulated industry, building transparent company culture. We're going to talk about all these things today. Brittany Burns, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So, uh, Brittany, before, and I want to talk about all the things that you're doing in the world, and we want to learn more about your company and, and so on. But before we do any of that, I want to ask you if you could take us back to wherever this takes you, but I want to ask you for your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, David. I think probably the earliest one that I can remember is I've grown up my whole life playing sports. So my dad um, played basketball for Arizona State, and I've been on teams my whole life. And so I think that that's really where I started to develop uh, leadership skills early on was being um, playing team sports. I played basketball and lacrosse one of my two main sports. And so in high school was captain of the basketball team, captain of the lacrosse team. And so um, a lot of, you know, obviously we still had a coach, but a lot of just leadership and learning how to motivate and lead people that were the same age or sometimes older than you, um, which has really helped pay off uh, as being a young CEO of a, a really high growth company as well. Yeah, it's funny how those, those young leadership lessons never go out of, of style, do they? They stick with us for all, all the rest of our years. You know, at some point, we're not leading people older than ourselves, but that can take quite a while. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious from that experience, when you talk about your earliest lessons and in influence and motivation, do you recall anything specific, a, a moment where you, you realize, oh, that doesn't work, or this does work, or a particular memory that, that, comes up for you when you think about being influential or motivational? Actually, I would probably point for, for that question um, less to my experience in sports, more when I was doing advocacy work at on the state level um, in Virginia. So um, I'm in Austin, Texas now, but you uh, originally hail from Virginia. And when I was in college, I worked um, with a uh, bipartisan or technically a nonpartisan group that was lobbying for higher education reform in um, as being part of that group, I worked with the president of my college's, um, the president of my college, as well as our government affairs um, folks, and then the partisan groups that were uh, student ran. And a lot of times when we would go into these meetings, people would be coming in with obviously agendas and high emotions um, and different political leanings. And as a leader of our group, uh, by nature, we were nonpartisan. And so um, I had to be relatively neutral, but also I was able to 
a lot of times sit back and hear people um, get into these really heated debates and listen to what they were trying to achieve, which a lot of times wasn't too far off, but had been become, become so politicized um, that they weren't hearing what the other one was saying. Mm-hmm. And so I think I really learned early on that a lot of times, you know, we're all humans. We're all, especially in business, trying to achieve the same thing. It's very unlikely that we're that far away from each other in terms of how we can achieve it. And so being able to sit back and and listen and really digest, you know, what the different goals are for different team members and then help to mediate and get to a common resolution. I think that experience really helped me in terms of, of leadership and is really, again, something I use on a daily uh, basis in my role at Sibler. What a valuable experience and leadership skill. I mean, that facilitative ability to, to bring people together and help them get past their own hangups in terms of, hey, that other person's a such and such because they don't see it exactly the same way. Uh, wow, that that's valuable. I'll bet you use that every day or close to it. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, so you, you mentioned simpler trading. Let's talk about the work you're doing now. So tell us about simpler trading. So we know it's a, an online financial education platform uh, and you've been growing quickly and I mean, doubled in, in very rapid order. And so I'm curious to learn more about the work that you do. What is the service you're providing and what do you love about it? Yeah, so Simpler is an online, as you mentioned, online trading education platform. And so really our goal is to be a one-stop shop for retail traders, to provide education, tools, and research for traders that are learning how to navigate these ever-changing markets. So we have a whole host of different products, um, but really our products, our main products are live trading rooms, and those focus on communities. So Trading is a really lonely profession. Um, You're usually doing it at home on your own. And that's really what our founder uh, was experiencing when he had moved from the corporate world to trading full time. And so our goal really is to bring people together so that they can have a community, one, just to overcome that loneliness that is a profession, but also to balance ideas off of each other, to learn from our seasoned pros and the um, people that simpler vets as educators. Um, and so that's been, you know, that's one of our main products and one that we're really proud of. It's one that we're what, uh, best known for, but we also have tools and software that we offer traders just to help them be able to better read the markets and understand, um, where they should and shouldn't be getting, should and shouldn't be getting in and out of the markets. Um, we also have a very heavy focus on psychology. Um, trading is a very psychological, um, career or hobby or however you are participating in the markets, it can be very emotional. It can be very, uh, there's a lot of psychology involved in making sure that you balance your emotions when making decisions. And so that's something we constantly reinforce. Um, We are currently focused in options, futures, and stock space. Um, And, you know, what I really love about it is our, our mission statement and our, the communities that we're building. So our mission is to help uh, our customers uh, create freedom, whatever that looks like for them. And so when you think about trading, you usually think that probably looks like financial freedom, but a lot of times it can be freedom from working in a corporate job or a job that you don't enjoy, the freedom to be able to have flexibility to um, spend time with your family if you are retired, maybe to be able to direct some of your own investments. And so that um, mission statement to be able to create that for our customers is at the heart of everything that we do. Um, but also the heart of what we do is community. It's one of our company's core values. Um, 
it's actually one of my personal core values as well. And so I aligned really well with Simpler when I came on because creating community within um, for our customers so they can uh, interact with each other, but also within our employee base and then also giving back to our community within Austin, um, which is why we launched our uh, philanthropic initiative, Simpler Serves, um, this year. And so it's something I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about the team that we're building and just really lucky to be with a company that um, serves this space uh, with such integrity, which can be kind of hard to find sometimes um, in financial education, unfortunately. Yeah, so we are recording this in the late summer, early fall of 2021. And so, gosh, it was, what, not that not that many months ago, we had the whole GameStop uh, thing and all the, there was you know a lot in the news around uh, traders who maybe weren't educated sufficiently and and there's you know so people have different opinions and all of that but uh and and the nature of regulation whether it should be more regulated all that where does simpler fit in in trying to help people in in all of that context that maybe our listeners who aren't traders might be passingly familiar with yeah so currently simpler is a little bit more focused on the intermediate to advanced traders. So a lot of our strategies really appeal more to people who have some experience in the market space um, because our community is relatively large. Our traders are um, going through their analysis in real time. They're not really stopping to answer questions like, what is a call? What is a put? How do I place this trade? Um, and we don't offer any sort of financial advice. It's all um, educational education driven. We fall very clearly underneath what's called the publisher's exemption um, in the 40 Act. Um, and so when you look at what happened with, with GameStop and what really brought retail trading sort of to the forefront, um, in our perspective, there is a lack of education in this space and a lack of oversight into who has the ability to open a an account and who has the ability to um, trade leverage securities. And so you know, we hear the GameStop obviously got a lot of press, but also just in general uh, around Robinhood and the people who are opening accounts within, especially a gamified app. Um, it's, there's not too much diligence done before a trader is able to place their first trade. And that's led to, you know, some people losing a lot of them, like a lot of money, some people losing their whole life savings, but even the most like tragic stories, uh, people that are taking their lives because they don't understand really the risks that they've taken on by entering the financial markets. So as we continue to scale, we've been, um, up until about two and a half years ago, we had been relatively focused in, on just intermediate to advanced trading um, and focused very much in the options space. Now, as we've, uh, as I stepped in as CEO and as we've kind of changed, pivoted a little bit of what our strategy is, we are expanding out into new markets, we are expanding into um, differentiation within each of our asset classes so we can help better serve those people that are beginner traders. So we've made investments into startups and into apps that focus on educating people that are new to investing and new to trading. And we're working with brokerages to partner with them to help develop a curriculum so that people can understand in learning centers so they can understand truly what risks that they're taking on by entering the markets because it can be very rewarding, and we very much believe in investing um, and trading, but also you need to understand there's a lot of risk, um, especially in the options and future space where you can lose more money than what you've leveraged um, on a Absolutely. trade. Absolutely. So I appreciate you, Brittany, taking us through that because 
it, it grounds the work that you do in you're taking care of people and you're providing a service that helps people to be as effective and um, you know be able to advocate for their their themselves in, in an effective way. And so in that context, you mentioned, you know, having integrity in an unregulated industry. I mean, it's not unregulated, but there are areas where there are a lack of regulations to be sure. And I think this is one of those areas from a leadership perspective uh, that I really want to dive into because it affects every leader. Now, you may not be dealing in securities or trading at all and not, you know, you, somebody else takes care of that for you, perhaps, or you just, you know, you got a 401k and that's good enough for you, right? We're not just talking about trading. We're talking about being a principled leader and leading a team or a company in a principled way that's not dependent on the law or the rules, the regulations, but on what on integrity on principles and so I'm curious your perspective what does that look like for you uh, let's just start we can start at the treetop level and we might get down to some specifics yeah i love the way that you uh position that david because you know coming from the coming from a background of financial regulation i have my own personal feelings about financial regulation and how we've approached it historically but I also know that from a leadership perspective, we want to be at the forefront of driving regulation because we believe in what we do and we have a lot of integrity in what we do in a industry that's famous for get rich quick schemes. And it's really important to me because it doesn't just impact our customers, it also impacts my employees and everything that they do as well. And so knowing that um, as a leader, I am willing to forego revenue or ch um, change a promotion or uh, have to shift something at the last minute um, because something within the marketing does not seem like it's going to resonate or that the impression from our customers is going to be what we want it to want it to be and that it in any way can be misleading. Um, showing that on a regular basis, it gives our employees the confidence to make those decisions themselves and saying, you know, if this doesn't feel right, um, we're going to you know, pause in this marketing campaign, we're going to change this one, and we need to make sure we have more support or substantiation for it. Um, but it also goes outside of just marketing and, and just the industry in general. It's, it's every part of our business. So naturally, as we've scaled and as we've grown, there's a lot of things that have come up where when we set it up maybe two years ago, it wasn't set up in the right way. Um, so especially when we look at tool um, integration, which I think is something that no matter where you're at, whether you're a, a leader or, an, you know, no matter where you're at in the leadership hierarchy, every employee faces a tool that has not been properly integrated within their, within their company. And so I believe that what, no matter what size company it is. And I think if you have a leadership team that has instilled a sense of either fear or, or not constantly instilling that sense of we do what's right, no matter what, and no matter what that, what that's going to cost us, then, then you are less likely to elevate those, concerns in terms of like, I'll use the, the tool as an easy example, um, where, oh, this tool was not integrated two years ago, and I was part of the integration. And at that time, I believed I was correctly integrating it. But now that we're here, we now realize that it's not and this is what's going to cost to change it. Well, employees are going to hide that if you set a culture that doesn't get easy and open to elevate that uh, to their manager to whoever is appropriate to elevate it to. And so our integrity and our marketing and our business really just it touches integrity in every piece of our company. I love that that the example you gave for you is about integrity, the openness and ability for people to elevate things. That's not something that we obviously take very 
very seriously and passionate about in, in terms of like our uh, the last book we wrote, Courageous Cultures, and you know, building teams of micro innovators, problem solvers, and customer advocates to create that culture where it's not just okay to raise your hand, it's the expectation that we should be, and that's what everyone on our team does. So I'd love to get to culture in just a minute, but I gotta hang out here in integrity for, for a moment. There are, just to unpack a couple things that you said there. So you said in terms of your marketing and in terms of how you're approaching your messaging, just as a for, for example, it's gotta feel right. I'm curious as the CEO, as a leader for your organization, and, and it is a fast paced industry and you know, you're in tech, so you are having to get things out there, but what is the guideline? How, how do you ask your leaders and decision, and as you're making the decisions and as you're encouraging everybody to make those decisions is it's gotta feel right. What kind of principles or guidelines are you offering to help people with that decision-making? Yeah, so it's funny because there's actual legal case, I mean, case law that we can point to, but um, outside of myself, who is currently the only attorney at Simbler, nobody else wants to hear the elements of, of what's going to pass uh, regulatory scrutiny. Um, and so, but the, the case law really is, it's called the net impression test, but we kind of refer to it as the gram, the grandma test. And so if you were to put something in front of your grandma, how would they react to it? Would they understand, you know, is this technically yes, true, but the impression is not what they would under what they would get from what this marketing material is or, and again, I'm using marketing as an example, but it can even be an email. Like, are you being completely forthright and knowing that what you're writing in this communication, what is the impression that the reader is going to have on it? And, if you if I come back and say, hey, why why did you write this? The excuse can be, well, technically it's true. Technically that's what it is. And it's like, yes, but you know that your audience wasn't going to interpret it that way. And so that's what we always sort of gut check on. Um, now we also are at a point of re really high growth. We've tripled you know revenue in three years, and so and we doubled our team in um, during COVID. So half our team has never met. <laughs> and so um, outside of like Zoom calls, we do a lot of like you know. Ha uh, Zoom happy hours and things, but um, you know we're at a point where we're putting in more stringent like guidelines. But in general, I want you know I want I come from compliance, I come from legal, so we're hiring a general counsel and we're bringing in a compliance team, even though we don't have you know true compliance in the sense of a regulated sense. But at the same time, we want to keep instilling that just in our employees in general. It's like yes you shouldn't have to wait for a compliance to tell you it's wrong. Like you should already know, like this wasn't going to pass the oh, I love that. sniff test. And so, I, I <laughs> so love that's, that. that's our goal. The grandma test, right? It, if you put it in front of your grandma, yeah. is she going to interpret it the, the in alignment with the intention in alignment with what, you know, any, anybody else is expecting it to, or is there anything else at play? And, you know, the thing that I love about that is that's a scalable principle. I don't, to your point, I don't need to wait for legal or compliance to tell me, right? I, you know, and there are obviously in the regulatory world, depending on what industry someone's in, there are all kinds of, there are rules we need to be aware of. But the principle behind those rules, as a leader, if you can do what Brittany's talking about and bring it down to the grandma rule, like everyone can wrap their head around that. That scales because it doesn't matter how big you get, you know, you can be a 500,000 person company and you can still abide by the grandma rule. 
the way that Brittany explained it. Love that, Brittany. Thank you. So Brittany, uh, Simpler Trading, you mentioned the growth. You've also got some cool awards. You've been awarded uh, the uh, Austin Business Journal's Austin's Best Places to Work in 2021. So that's got to speak highly to your culture, best small places to work and uh, in, uh, also in Austin there. So you're doing something right culturally to, to be winning awards like that. So you mentioned earlier the aspect of your culture that says, hey, everybody can raise their hand. Everybody can surface this issue. If this isn't working the way we intended it, we got to talk about it. We got to know it's the only way we're going to get there. I, I'm curious, what else has played into developing that culture? What are some of your touch points that you're proud of? And then we can talk a little bit about how you get there. Yeah, for sure. One main thing that I've focused on is being an authentic leader. And that's definitely been something, as I mentioned, like I'm a young CEO. This is my first time serving in this role. When I first stepped in, I felt like there was a, what a CEO should be, um, what should like, you know, what is the, what should I know? What should I be? And I, very quickly, I was like, even if that is the case, I do not know those things. And so I'm going to bring on people that do, and I'm going to go out outside of either within our current employee base or outside to get us the skills that we can all elevate to the next level. We're really at a point where when I stepped in as CEO, we had 44 employees. So we were still relatively small. We're, we aren't startup, but we're definitely in that growth phase of everyone has to kind of wear a lot of hats. You can sort of jump in and we put a lot of faith into our, our, our employees. And what I've told, what I told my team when I was CMO before I stepped into the CEO role was if I could do all these things, if I knew everything, then I wouldn't have you here. I don't, I need you here for your expertise and your thoughts and your diversity on this subject matter. And I'm happy to help be a sounding board or to help bounce ideas off of, but I don't want to be a crutch and I don't want to micromanage because we're not going to be able to scale at the size that we need to. And I think with that, we've kind of kept that same sort of narrative and, and same sort of leadership across as I built up my executive team, as we've hired, we're now at 100 employees. And so uh, as we've hired very rapidly over the last year, we've said the same thing as every single employee, no matter where they're at in the organization, from our interns up to our executive level, each of them are here for a reason. We are still at a very high growth stage. We're not just hiring to hire. Everybody's doing, you know, a lot of things. You don't, we tell people when they come on, we're like, you may not fit into this perfect box of if you were at a company like Google, where you were just the designer of this one product and that's all you're doing. Like you need, we need your help designing that. But we also need your feedback on like how we're gonna market it. We need your feedback over here. And I think that really trusting our employees, um, I mean, it's helped with everything with our with our culture. Um, they are just all naturally leaders. When COVID happened, when we went remote, like we just didn't miss a beat. We had like a flex schedule, but we always had an office space. And going remote, I was, the reason we were flex before is always like, like, I don't need you here to know you're doing your job. Like, if you're not doing your job, then you won't have one anymore. So, like, just do your job and we'll be fine. And having that trust and faith and just, I mean, this sounds a little condescending, but treating our employees like they're adults because they are adults, everyone's taken a lot of pride and ownership in what they do. And we constantly are reinforcing communication and how we can communicate well with each other. So we actually, right after this, uh, we have a communication workshop with an outside consultant because 
with that pride can sometimes come a little bit of ego. And so it's always making sure that we are collaborative, that we are proud and take ownership of what we're doing, but we do it in a way that's breaking down those silos and we're working together to get to a common goal. Fantastic. So again, so many different aspects there to want to dive into a little bit. So when you talk about the, the building culture, one of the challenges that you mentioned is that half of your, half or more of your people have never met each other. And in, you know, gosh, article after article, you know, and I, it might be the question that we are asked the most in our leadership development work is how do I build culture leading remotely? Like there are some people who just feel like I can't do it. I don't even know how, like it doesn't seem possible. Well, culture is whatever we're doing. So you're going to have a culture. It's just a matter of what you're building. Curious from your perspective, you mentioned the communication that some of the intentionality around that. What else are you doing that you're feeling that you would say, hey, listen, yeah, you can build culture with remote employees, with remote teams, and here's how you go about it. Yeah, David, I love the way you just put that with whether you are being intentional or purposeful about building culture, you're building it regardless. I've never really thought of it that way, but it is so true that no matter what a culture is being developed, um, and so whether you have any sort of decide whether you're going to guide it in one way or the other is like very important. And so for us, what we've really focused on is one of our core values, as I mentioned, is community. It's extremely important to me, and it's extremely important that our employees feel like they're part of a community. And I'm, you know, I'd say I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm not overly mushy, but I do come from a communications background. And so, like I've told all of our employees, we do not have to be best friends. We can have boundaries that are healthy for a work relationship, but you should feel like you are supported when you come into this environment. And if you are ever not feeling that way, I want to make sure that you have an open door and an open line of communication and somewhere to air those grievances. So one of the first executives I hired before I even hired a COO was a director of human capital. And it was extremely, now she's our VP of human capital. And that was extremely important to me because, um, and I went to my chairman of the board who was a little bit hesitant because HR people, people are like, oh, HR rules and it's going to make it corporate. But for me, the way I approach it, I was like, this is what's important to me. It's important that people feel like they are included in our community, that they have the resources they need and they understand if there's conflict or if there is a grievance, they have someone that is dedicated that they can go to. We also, serving our community, the Austin community, is extremely important to me as well. It's given us the space to grow as a company, and I think that we owe something back to where we work as an organization. I think that's our corporate responsibility. And so having someone that is solely focused on really serving our customers and helping us serve the community was important, was a very important to me. Now, granted, I know that not every company can afford that or can hire an HR person at this time. But it is very important to be purposeful and just decide what those few, you know, what those couple of priorities are within your organization, what you want to see on a ongoing basis. And for some people, if all it is like, I just want to see more cash coming in the door, then like that's the culture you'll develop. And there's, you know, it's not a culture I would want to work in, but like there are people that will. <laughs> like you'll have, you know, maybe a whole sales apparatus culture. But for us, um, you know, that's been, it's been at the forefront of everything we do. And then we supplement it with, with things like happy hours and, employee engagement events and all those things. But I think really creating an environment where employees feel like if there were ever an issue, they're able to escalate it, that they're able to 
have the conversations. They're not going to, there's not going to be retaliation. And when we faced this, you know, a lot in 2020, it was a year of challenges. It was to have gone through that year and had no one leave. We, we have a very high retention rate and that's been that way the last three years. It's just one of our biggest pride points. Congratulations on the high retention rate and the, the culture work there. So as you're talking through the being able to raise issues and, and the different cultural touch points you have of people feeling supported and so forth. I like to think of it as, you know, the cake and icing, like all of the things that the activities that people think of as the culture activities, the, whether that's the live or, you know, in person or, or remote happy hours, any of that kind of thing, that's all icing, right? You got to have a, a well-baked cake in order to put any icing on that. If the cake isn't solid, you just have a mess, right? And, and it doesn't work. One of the things that makes a good cake, if I can extend the analogy, is accountability. And, and this is a part of a place that leaders sometimes forget or are not ready and prepared for when they're, okay, so they've done what you said. I, like, okay, yes, I need to be intentional about my culture. This is our, what we're trying to build here. This is how it's supposed to be. But we're human beings and somebody drops the ball. Somebody doesn't live up to the expectations or the standards of transparency or support or, uh, you know, someone raises an issue and then gets, someone else is having a bad day and they get shot down. And what then? How do you recover how do you hold one another accountable for those moments when it doesn't go as well as you would like? Yeah, I think the main thing that I've learned is to address it immediately. Whatever the issue is, the conversation is going to be uncomfortable. I think some people maybe over time or experience are fine having those hard conversations, um, especially when you work closely with somebody and then it, and, and they drop the ball and you have to approach them and and have that conversation. But I think very clear and consistent communication um, is the expectation uh, that says it's not, you know, you're not going above and beyond by consistently and clearly communicating. And if there is an issue, it's immediately dealt with and addressed. And so it doesn't just allow it to sit for, you know, time and it becomes more of an issue than it would have been if, if it had been immediately addressed. I think also I really push and, and I'm really proud of our executive team of just taking accountability for when things aren't going right so that it does again trickle down and so for us a, a good example is we dei is an important um, aspect for every business i believe um i'm a the only female ceo in our industry um so when we're in in financial education so when i'm in meetings it's i am the only person that has a different approach to really mm -hmm. How, not the different approach, but has a different, you know, background and, and experience. And so for us, when I stepped in as CEO, that was definitely something I was like, I want to increase our DEI. Well, I and I did have every intention in wanting to do that, but running a company, things, you know, kept like, I was like, oh, I need to find a DEI consultant and I kind of pushed it off. And so then we had an incident where we had a, a game night and a comment was made that I think was was the intent was not supposed to be hurtful, but it still was not appropriate. And so at that moment, immediately I, you know, called our employee that was black and apologized to her that that would happen. I explained to her, this is what we're going to do next. She was the only 
our only employee of color who was in this meeting, we immediately the next day hired a DEI coach. And I apologized to the company and I said, this is something that is a priority and I have not shown you through my actions that I am actually prioritizing this. And so now we have regular training. We, it's a, a core focus point of ours. And so I think having that accountability from the top up also helps reinforce the accountability lower down. It's kind of what we said this whole time of people being more willing to raise their hand and admit that they are wrong, which can also help overcome some of those hard conversations because instead of people kind of defensive and then forcing the conversation, they can come preemptively and say, hey, I messed this up. I dropped the ball here. I should have been doing this. But we're all humans and we're all a constant work in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and what powerful role modeling, you know, when you are able to do that, and it doesn't matter the topic, this was your topic in this moment, but to, to acknowledge, say, listen, I didn't live up to my own expectation of myself here. And this is what we do when we do that. I'm going to own it. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to make it right as quickly and as effectively as I can. And those principles, again, transcend it, right? And if we'll all do that. And so just, A, thank you for the vulnerability and sharing that with us, uh, with everyone listening right now, because we all need that. There's not a one of us that doesn't need that. And I don't care if you're a frontline leader or the CEO of an international megacorp, like to the extent that you can take ownership and model that, you make it safe for everyone else to do it. And if they're not, you've also got the principled integrity now to say, hey, listen, this is how we do things here and you need to, or this isn't the place for you. Yes, definitely. It's definitely a, a quarterly review and objective is, are you fitting within our culture? Like it's just as important of, are you performing, you know, meeting your KPIs and your objectives is, are you being a good teammate? Are you being transparent? Are you taking accountability? And that's measured in terms of performance as high as our other KPIs are. Uh, what another great practice. So if you're looking for some practices around cultural transformation, around uh, accountability for the kind of organization, the kind of workplace you're trying to build, particularly if you're a senior leader and have access to the systems, the practiced accountability for those things, you're actually evaluating, hey, are you doing X, Y, and Z things in a formal, structured way where you can really look at it? Uh, that's another powerful technique. Brittany, you're giving us so much gold today. Appreciate this. <laughs> yes, of course. So the last topic maybe that we can uh, wrap up on here is um, involves transformation because, you know, I know from some of our conversation and, and so on that you've led some cultural transformation that taking a culture from A to B. And the reason that this is important, again, every leader has to do this. And it doesn't mean that you have a horrible, caustic, you know, culture. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a culture that is it's it's nice, but it lacks accountability. Maybe it's a culture that, you know, is high, high results. But the human aspect, it doesn't matter. Cultural transformation is work that every leader needs to do, whether you're leading a three person team or, again, a 300,000 person company. So I'm curious from your perspective, if you could tell us a little bit about what that transformation was like for you, what you learned from it, and if you had to do it again, are there any principles or suggestions you'd have for leaders listening today? Yeah, I'm gonna start at the end of if I had to do it again <laughs> and anything I learned. Patience and time is the, I think the biggest thing. There were, you know, I came from a background of financial regulation. Um, I had worked in corporate communications for a few years. I 
never planned on practicing the law. I always thought I was going to go the advocacy route. So I had a background in connecting people and, and working and, you know, mediation and bringing people together. But I also had spent the last few years doing mostly interpreting regulation and telling companies how to stay compliant. And so I'm moving from that over to having a lot of human emotion and a lot of people who are protective of what they've built and they are, what they are feeling is legitimate and real. And I was coming into an ecosystem where at the time there were some, not all of it, but there were some leaders who their approach was to let's clean house and bring in, let's bring in somebody else. Cause we can have somebody else be in CS. Or we can have somebody else be in marketing. I think what we were missing there was, you know, there's a lot of like, I think that as long as someone fits within and is willing to have a growth mindset and isn't a toxic like employee, like I don't think you can really fix a toxic employee. Like you can have an underperforming and toxic or an overperforming toxic employee. Those are the worst people to have. Like the best performer, but someone that does not fit the culture, like is the worst person to have on my team. But I think, you know, going through it, it was a lot of patience, a lot of getting to know people and understanding where they're coming from. And so I like to believe that most people are not just completely irrational and that they, if they are feeling something, it's from somewhere. They might not be willing to tell you immediately, but building those relationships and understanding how they got here, what their background is, what their experience is. For us at Simpler, we didn't have a horribly toxic culture, but we had a culture that was afraid of, of growth. And that's, I think, very typical when you're in a high growth company. Um, and I think that also, you know, from my experience, I think it's also good to, for you know employees that are going through that they are like to understand like kind of what the other dynamics are and to understand okay being a little bit more open-minded to growth and being more open-minded to trying new things and staying you know motivated to have that growth mindset can be difficult especially if you've been through a company that's just turned through you know several leadership cycles being patient and being willing to take the time to do it you can't set a deadline of Okay, we're gonna start cultural transformation on September first, and six months later we're gonna be done with cultural transformation. That's, because that's we are not how it works. <laughs> Unfortunately, from someone that's very analytical, it was like a little difficult sometimes. But it is, you know, I think that it's it's human nature and to try to manage around that to think you're just gonna be able to hire people that aren't gonna at some point in time be feeling this. Like maybe you can hire around it at this level, but then you're gonna reach another point where you're gonna have to transform and pivot and meet new challenges. And so I think that for us, a big thing was us establishing our core values as a team. And my biggest piece of feedback for any leadership team that doesn't have them understood that it can seem like frou-frou or a waste of time or anything like that. Do it even though it will not be perfect the first time. Do it and start working towards something and show your team that it is the company values this. And also for me, again, like I always have to balance being authentic with sometimes self-deprecating. <laughs> I've told my team when I did it, I was like, guys, I've been at Fortune 200 companies that have brought out core values and it's been great. You did a nice design on the wall and it meant nothing. And I was like, so if we roll these out and they don't fit us in three months, we're changing them. And I'm not going to, I was like, we're going to have those conversations. And so I think that authenticity and that like transparency and willingness to say, this is why we're trying to do it. We might not hit it the first time. Um, and this is why we're trying to change the you know, culture and we might not get it right the first time. And I'm, I might mess up, but we're going to keep still trying. To, that doesn't mean we stop trying to do it. And that's been really important for us to kind of get through that transformation, come out really strong on the other side. So much gold there once again. So just to highlight a couple of things, draw out a couple of elements that you said. So in terms of cultural transformation, one is uh, 
I'm paraphrasing here, but leaving room for edits, being willing to treat this as a work in progress. This isn't one and done. This is ongoing, and we're going to work our way in and iterate as we need to to get there. Uh, and so that's one. Another was the, I just love the grace with which you approached people and say, listen, people tend to be rational, but, well, let me continue with that one. People tend to be rational, and I want to know what's motivating them, how are they working, how are they responding, and how can we help them succeed in this culture, in this arena? And, and take the time to help people get there. You're going to have a stronger, more loyal workforce. But, and the but was, and this is also an important thing you said, a toxic high performer is about the worst person you can have on your team. And I, I want to unpack that for just a moment because I think this is one of those arenas that leaders wrestle with all the time. I've got a really technically competent person. Maybe they are just a whiz at keeping the servers running or they're an amazing salesperson or you know, uh, an incredible attorney, what have you. But they are a toxic person. And leaders tolerate that because they want the performance. And you're suggesting absolutely not. Worst thing you can do. I'm curious what led you to that perspective and what advice you would have for leaders who might be facing that circumstance right now? Yeah, what led me to that perspective is what I think every leader is going to face at some point. They kept someone around too long that they should have cut off well before then. That's definitely, I think, my biggest learning in my um, you know, short time so far as CEO was when to pull, pull the cord. And if it doesn't feeling wrong, if it does not feel like they're fitting in the culture, like doing it sooner rather than later, you know, from a performance standpoint, there's the quadrants that I think a lot of, you know, leaders and executives seen of like, you know, underperforming and toxic, easy fire. That's not a question. And then uh, underperforming, but great cultural fit. I I think you can teach anybody to do anything. And that's coming from someone who was terrible at finance and now is having to like work with the CFO on a daily basis. <laughs> so I believe you can teach anyone to do anything. And I think that the toxicity permeates either changes other people's behavior or it degrades people's trust in you because you're saying one thing, you're saying the culture is an important piece of your your business and it's something you're keeping at the forefront, but you're allowing this behavior to continue. Whether you see it initially or not, it will start to impact your other employees. Your good employees who are good, perform maybe not the highest performers, but they are good performers and they're great cultural fits, they're going to leave or they're going to resent you, uh, definitely resent the pers that person, but they're also going to resent you as a leader because you didn't stand by what you said was important. And so that's where it comes down to, like I mentioned earlier, being able to make those hard decisions sometimes of, I know that this is going to impact initial, you know, top line, or I know this is going to impact speed at which we're trying to release this next next tech release. But the longer term, like the longer you hold on to that person, the more likely you are to lose the good people on your team that could become those higher performers but they're turned off by the way that you're handling that and, and not aligning what you're saying to your behaviors. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I couldn't agree more. All I can say is there's been about three or four segments as we've been talking, like these are worth rewinding and listening again. And if, if you are that leader or you have a leader who is wrestling with that decision, they don't need to hear it from you. Play them the last three minutes of Brittany sharing her wisdom, her shared experience, because she's absolutely right. And that the way that that spreads, the way that, that that's not going to work, 
and sooner rather than later. Uh, all I can do is salute and say, here, here. Brittany, thank you so much yeah. for all of the wisdom that you shared with us today. I mean, you've taken some time out of your schedule. You've got a company to be running and you're here helping leaders to grow, uh, helping leaders invest in their own success and so appreciate you doing that for us. Any final thoughts as you're thinking about all that we've talked about, or we've, we've covered a lot of ground, cultural transformation, integrity, principled action, and regardless of whatever the regulations are, transparency, a courageous company culture, we've been all over the place. Any final thoughts for listeners today? I think that, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned in my, in my career and in my time as CEO is to not be, to be humble and not be afraid to ask for help. I think that everybody as a leader or as, you know, you're a leader, no matter where you're at in an organization, no matter what your role is. And so being your, even if you're not overseeing a team, you're leading your own self and your own career. Um, if you don't know something, I think people respect and admire a lot more bringing in the help sooner rather than later. And I can say that now looking back and not doing it in some uh, circumstances. And now it's one of those things, the second I don't know something, I'm like, let's go find a subject matter expert. Let's get that person in here um, to help guide us. So I think that's definitely my biggest, biggest learning in my uh, young CEO career. Well, there you have it from a CEO who's getting the job done. Uh, Brittany Burns, CEO of Simpler Trading, encouraging you ask for the help you need. And you can ask subject matter experts. You can ask your team. You've got all sorts of different people available for you to ask. Okay, Brittany, where do we find, if somebody wants to connect with you or learn more about Simpler Trading, where should we take them? We'll make sure all of these links are on the show notes. Yeah, so simplertrading.com, uh, very simple, easy to remember. And that is our handle on everything, so Instagram, uh, Facebook. So Love to connect with you. Would love to um, help you on your trading journey. I'm on LinkedIn as Brittany Burns, and that's where I'm mostly active. I am not haven't jumped on the Twitter Twitter train yet, which I think is where most CEOs are. So, um, but simpletrading.com is where you can find out more information about us. Uh, plenty of CEOs on LinkedIn too. Absolutely. All right. So connect with Brittany. We'll get, like I said, we'll get those links in the show notes. Uh, Brittany, thanks again for being here. And I just want to encourage everyone listening, take advantage of these moments. You don't get a, a CEO of a fast growing organization saying, Hey, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let her know where you, where you heard her and where you met her. And uh, you know, those kinds of, of business relationships, uh, leadership relationships are gold. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, ask for the help that you need, whether it's from Brittany, from me, or from whoever else, and you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.